It's time to get your goalkeeping groove on with the ultimate at-home goalkeeping workout. Want to top up on your training? Join ex-Premier League stopper Richard Lee from the comfort of your own home. For 30 minutes three times per week, Rich will take to Instagram Live and run viewers through an easy-to-follow training routine developed from his years of professional experience working with first-class goalkeepers and goalkeeping coaches. Work on and improve speed, strength, technique and many other aspects of your game while engaging the core muscle groups and athletic ability required to be a top goalkeeper. Just there, nice and simple. Just right hand to left hand, get the ball moving, get a little bit higher. Good, right into some straight into some goalkeeping core. So ball out in front, nice squat down and up. All you need is a few essential household items a good Wi-Fi connection, and a small space at home. With a weekly mindset session and goalkeeper quiz to boot, consider this your one-stop shop for goalkeeping growth. Join the Joe Wicks of goalkeeping today on a free one-week trial with no obligation to continue. Visit goalkeepersunion.net forward slash workout for more details. been brilliant you always are well done great attitude i'll see you shortly take care now for harmoners perform wonders so far he might have to again here from ronaldo Hello and welcome to the Goalkeepers Union podcast. Me, Matt Beadle, here with the voice of goalkeeping, Richard Lee. Well, hello there. Hi, Richard. We are interviewing another goalkeeper coach today as we broaden your goalkeeping network. It's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It is indeed. And it's one that I'm really interested about today. Um, I know you're going to give him an official introduction in a minute, but very, very interesting character. Lots of interesting stories that we're going to get stuck into. We talk about the goalkeepers union, don't we? And goalkeepers being in cahoots with each other. Since you've finished playing, do you feel like you've connected more with goalkeepers than you did when you were playing? Yeah, 100%. I think the way of the world now as well, social media, I know a lot of you guys are listening. I'm sure you follow me on Instagram. If you don't, feel free, Richard Lee GK. Uh, But it's been really good, actually, because I think from that side of things, the amount of goalkeepers that follow each other, for one, and the amount that I've been able to connect with, certainly goalkeeper coaches, with a lot of what I do elsewhere with the pro goalkeepers, and just constantly being in contact. And the fact that we've got so many different platforms to present good content, Instagram being one for those that have seen the Instagram lives. And of course, these podcasts, it's just such a good way to get quality goalkeeping content out there. And what are we now, 80-odd podcasts in, it's, it's fantastic to have another top, top goalkeeper coach to speak to. Yeah, Instagram, that's a big one for you now, isn't it? Richard Lee GK, as you said. And I've got to tell you, mate, I'm just scrolling through your profile now. The symmetry 
is something to behold. It's one of the neatest Instagrams I've ever seen. And your questions have attracted quite a few answers, haven't they? A lot of people getting involved with the questions that you're putting out there on a lovely little tile with the, the little design that you do. This week's one, or today's one even, can eating more healthily improve you as a goalkeeper? There you go. Well, there you go. Yeah, no, just trying to create something a little bit in, more interactive, it's nice to see the amount of goalkeepers that do interact and everybody's got their own opinion. That's the beauty of goalkeeping as well. There's not necessarily a right or a wrong answer to a lot of the things that I'm putting out, but we've all got our own opinions as to what makes a good goalkeeper. So it's just to get discussion going. The Instagram lives that we do on a regular basis and the ones that I then do with a lot of goalkeeper coaches, professional goalkeepers have been really worthwhile. Naturally, you know what's coming next. If you do have a question for Richard Lee or indeed for the Goalkeepers Union, please do get in touch. Very easy at GK Union on Twitter or Instagram. There you go. A new one at Richard Lee GK on Instagram or email us hello at goalkeepersunion.net. This week's guest is a goalkeeper whose career was entrenched among the southern plains of this wonderful country in which we dwell. He started at Southampton, he blossomed at Southend and also enjoyed spells with the Muths, Port and Bourne. More than 450 games brought four promotions and unlike the man alongside me here at GKU, he was able to prevent both Cristiano Ronaldo and Wayne Rooney from scoring past him. Daryl Flahaven, welcome to the Goalkeepers Union podcast. Hi Matt, how are you? Hi Rich, you okay? Yeah, all good, all good. It's a lovely intro by the way, Matt. <laughs> We've always got to get it in there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate, get us going with the opening three questions. Yeah, we all start with the same three questions, uh, Mr. Flahaven. So we'll start with the first one is in regards to your gloves. During your career, what gloves did you wear? Um, the majority of my career, I wore cells. Um, I started wearing, well, during, sorry, I'll backtrack a little bit there. In the early days, it was Yule Sport. Um, it was, it was a brand I absolutely loved. Um, growing up, um, at Southampton, it was, it was Peter Shilton and then Tim Flowers was playing. So I was watching these goalkeepers and they were wearing Yule Sports and it was the huge brand. Neville South or another idol of mine was wearing them. So I ended up, um, wearing Yule Sports so when I started uh, my YTS as it was back in donkeys years ago 19 early 1990s when I used to get my 42 pound 50 uh, a week I would save two of those to buy two pairs of, of Yule Sport gloves so that was my first brand uh, and then as a as a professional moving on I ended up uh, with um, the sales brand uh, with Adam Sales as you know uh, I wore them majority of my career, and towards the end, I I flitted with a bit of a company called Fline. Um, they got in contact with me, and the, and the good thing with Fline was they just sort of let me make whatever I wanted. So it was like uh, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Really, it was just a case <laughs> of what do you want, how do you want it. I was so particular. I was so fussy with my gloves that it was a, a great uh, engagement. I was always a roll-fingered man. Yep. But one of, one of the particulars I had was that I always wanted the thumb to be cut negative. That mm. made sense with the stitching on the inside. So it was really tight to my thumb. And I always made sure the strap was, wasn't too long so it overlapped the, the Velcro. It always had to sit just right. So, like I said, I was so fussy. 
I must have been a nightmare, but um, I always had to have the right gear. I always used to, to like to feel good. So, yeah, I always, you know, look good, feel good, play good. I was that sort of person. Absolutely. I was going to say, quite the perfectionist. It's funny, I love that, the contrast between, and I remember that. I think, in fact, things have just moved on. I think when I was youth team, it was, I think, 55 and then even 65 a week, I think. But 1999, we're a few years later, so we'd kick on there. <laughs> Do you know what's really funny is that we spoke to Nicky Weaver, of course. I'm pretty sure he said £42.50 as well when he was £42.50. Was that, the, yeah, was that so, like a stock fee? Was that a stock... It was a YTS, so it was under a YTS scheme from like the government. I think it didn't matter if you were in football or, yeah. you know, mechanic or whatever. I think that was the that was the going rate. So it was forty two pound fifty. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. But I love I love the contrast between that where it takes you two weeks to save up for a pair of gloves to towards the end of your career where you've got the ability. I had it with Brad Friedel. You know, he had a different pair of gloves yeah. for every single game he played. Had a different pair of gloves for training. Go through a hundred, hundred and fifty pairs of gloves a year but that contrast from youth team days to where you get towards the end of your career and they're just throwing gloves at you no i love it well look, second of the quick fire questions is in regards to kit because everybody's worn a garish kit or two but did you have a particular favorite in your career yeah i for some for some reason i, I liked a yellow kit and i was one of these that wanted it all the same color getting back on being fussy again i liked it i liked an all yellow kit um, I had a spell at Portsmouth, I had a season at Portsmouth and they had a Kappa kit. Mm. Now, if you've ever worn the Kappa kit, you realise that it's really tight fitted. So it was one of those, if you weren't going in the gym, you'd better get in the gym because it was basically like the Under Armour base layer t-shirts. It was that tight, but it was a really lovely fit. And the shorts were, were nice, like quite baggy, but not too long. Then when I went to Bournemouth after a couple of seasons, they got uh, they, they they would come to me and ask me, well, "What do you think?" They'd show me um, ideas or colours, and I would I, majority of the time would say I wouldn't yeah, all yellow kit or an all blue kit, these sort of colours. I was never one that liked a, uh, a yellow top with black shorts and black socks. I, I didn't like it. I always had to have it all matching, and predominantly, if I could, um, I would probably pick the yellow I was always white gloves all yellow kit white boots um I had a kit south end that I liked as well um was uh, was an all green Nike one and that was a funny story because when we first originally got that it was a bit like back in the day everyone had an extra large and as you know with me I wasn't the biggest goalkeeper in the world so it was like the goalkeeper shirt was triple XL you know all of a sudden looking at me I'm not six foot six giant so but they all the triple XL kits. So I used to take it to a, um, a tailor in South Bend and I used to get the arms cut. I used to get the cuff taken off. I used to get the cuff cut and then put back onto the, the shirt and onto my wrist. So it would sit just right above my wrist strap on my gloves and the bottom of the shirt, I would get cut around the edge. So it would just sit inside. So if it did come out, it wouldn't be hanging halfway down my shorts. That was it. But originally, the, the green shorts and the green socks weren't part of the kit. It was a black pair of shorts with padding in, if you, if you can remember the padding in shorts, yeah. and just a pair of black socks. And I, I was having none of it. I didn't want it. I, didn't, I was saying to them, no, I'm not wearing it. So I went online and found a supplier in China that did green night shorts and green night socks. So he ordered two pairs and got them shipped over. And then I remember playing in games, I just wore them. I didn't even ask, I just wore them with the green 
top. So the club um, commercial were coming into the club and demanding to speak to me. You can't be doing this. You can't be doing this because in the club shop, it's black shorts, black socks. I was like, I don't care. I don't care. I feel good in this. I feel better going on to the pitch. Psychologically, it's given me an edge, so I'm sticking with it. And eventually, they had to order in the green shorts and the green socks for, for the kit. So they were fuming with me, but I didn't, I didn't <laughs> care. I felt, I felt good. Um, and um, yeah, like we said, psychologically, it made me feel good going onto the pitch every day. Could you, could you, I mean, could you imagine that in today's game? Could you imagine that in the Championship or Premier League right now, a goalkeeper doing it? Do you know the thing where I can relate? And I actually touched on this uh, in my book when I was at Brentford, where I was going through a rough patch. And actually, one of the things I did was new pair of gloves, new pair of boots. I was like you. I like the hookup. I like the white boots with the white gloves. And I didn't mm. think too much of it then, but there is a difference. All of a sudden, you do look that little bit better and you do feel that little bit better. And that was actually, certainly at the time, that was a big turning point. For me, I love the fact that you are such a perfectionist. I've got a feeling that might be a running theme throughout this, this, uh, this particular <laughs> podcast. Um, I'm going to move to the third of the quick fire questions that gets us going in this podcast. And it's in regards to saves and the best save that you've made. It's not necessarily the save that got all the notoriety, but the save that you know was your best ever save. And it might be one that nobody else knows about. It's a tough one, Rich, because you know as well as I do, played play so many games. It's, um, you, you know, I could be playing in League One somewhere in front of four or 5,000 people and, and a save that doesn't make any headlines at all. Um, again, like you said, I was quite quick. I was quite a, a good reaction speed in and around my box. Um, I, it's hard to pick one. I think most people always go on to me about the, 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 the bigger games, the Man United games and the performances and, and those sorts of games. But I, I remember going to Coventry City, the Rico Arena, and, and putting on a performance as good. I remember players like Fred going to Sheffield United, Bramwell Lanes, and putting in good performances. I remember going to Hartlepool away on a January League One 20 years ago, it felt like. Injury time saving a penalty, the rebound comes back out, the lad bounces, volleys it back. I get down over my hips, down low to keep the ball in my hands. You know, these sorts of things. So it's hard to pinpoint one specific say because there's been a variety over the years and I don't mean that in a big-headed way um, but just to put put one down is 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 tough I'd probably have to go away and have a think about that and come to you later about it but um, yeah it's a, t- it's a tough question that's a tough question <laughs> well something we don't often refer to on this podcast Daryl I have to say is the fact that goalkeepers on many occasions have been named player of the year now for all the trials all the tribulations and the claims that goalkeepers aren't recognized enough a lot of the subjects on this actual podcast have been named player of the year on many occasions but we've never really touched on it now you are one of them south end player of the year three times and the divisional player of the year in 2006 it's a big accolade yeah i had the it was the it was the league one championship season I won, yeah, the, the divisional goalkeeper of the year, but I also won the player as well that same season. The, it was the PFA Fans League One Player of the Year. Um, I think how it worked was uh, each month uh, there was a vote for Player of the Month in the, in the Football League and the fans would vote. And then at the end, I think everyone that got voted in that went into a, a pool and there was... Uh, I don't know, people wouldn't watch your performances and everyone would vote. 
So going into the championship the next season, I, I didn't even know about it. We were just about to play Sheffield Wednesday. And the announcer said, oh, we've got an award for you before the game. So I was like, what award? And he said, you won the PFA League One Player of the Year. Well, I'm, really? Wow. Um, I didn't even know. So I was literally just getting my head around playing, playing Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and then I won this award. So again, um, yeah, great accolade. Um, the South End time was, was brilliant for me because it was... We, we had so much success in a short space of time for, for, for Southend, and no disrespect to Southend, um, but I was having a lot to do the other end as well. And I think it was just that time where, as a, probably as a, as a goalkeeper, you start hitting a peak and you start feeling like everything's coming together. The, the hard work that you've put in over the years is now coming together. So I was, um, I was very fortunate, but um, I had to work hard for it. You won one, didn't you, Rich? I won one. I won one. Certainly not as many as this man, but I did win one. Yes, it was a, a nice moment. It is a nice moment, actually, though. Of course, as you, you know, people always say, it's all about the team. Of course it is. But there is something quite special when you do go to the award ceremony and you know that you've got half a chance and your name is called. It is a nice feeling, you know, certainly. And to, to have done it as many times and to have one as big as that. Did you celebrate it at all out of interest, Labs? No, I think it was, um, I didn't, like, like I said, it was, it was really, that, that was the big one. And it wasn't really as recognised as it is now because now you see that that sort of award, I think, is always won at the, at the Grosvenor when they do the, um, the PFA awards at the end of the season where it, it wasn't done. And that must have been 2006. For some reason, it wasn't done there. It was it was literally done at the end of the uh, start of the season um, after. So no, it was it was it was only uh, I think it was a local paper reported on it, and then I just thought. Then I obviously delved a bit deeper into how the award was was uh, decided, and I thought, wow, it was a you know it was it was a fantastic accolade. And, And and just touching on what you said there, Rich, I think as a as a goalkeeper, you are an individual in a team sport. And you know as well as I do, that's why we have a goalkeeper's union. It is a little bit different. So to win those sorts of things are, um, yeah, again, great things to, to look back on, especially when you, when you finish your playing career. At this juncture, I would like to say I was also up for a Football League award in 2006, Daryl, in League Two for me. Best website. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> Hey, any awards a great achievement. Um, <laughs> didn't win it. Congratulate you on that. You didn't win it. Didn't win it. No, got pipped to the post by Southampton. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Southampton, actually, that is, of course, where you started as a youngster, but you actually got your career going with Woking. Now, Rich, you won't believe this. Quite incredibly, we spoke about Lawrence Batty in our previous podcast with Rob Green. Yeah, you can follow suit. You played with him. I did, yeah. I um, like when I look back on the my pathway, it's it's probably similar now to what I would advise and push a young keeper to do. Anyways, to go out and get games, you know, like I say, go and get your hands dirty. I was twenty one. Um, I'd been on on the bench in the Premier League on on a number of occasions, but I never I never played. I never got on. And then season after season, the managers kept changing. We had Alan Ball one year, Dave Merrington another year, Graham Souness the next year, Dave Jones come in. Um, and then as I left, Glenn Hoddle came in. 
So it was always a case of I was dropping down the pecking order. I was the youngest goalkeeper in the squad. I was the smallest goalkeeper in the squad. So it was always a case of proving myself. I'd get in and around the, the actual team the season after I dropped back down again to like the third, fourth choice. It was always a case of, of having to prove myself each year. Um, then towards the end of my four years there, it was, I think it was Dave Jones said to me, he said, look, if you were bigger, I would honestly give you a chance. But, you know, I think now you just go out and start your career. So I went to Woking in the conference, which was probably from a house in Southampton. It was only 50 minutes away. Um, and I remember actually going there, signing there, think, and then thinking, wow, what, what have I done? You know, um, like, it was sudden non-league football. I came in and then, like you just touched on there, Lawrence Bay. Again, I didn't do the research like I do now on, on players and, and situations. I didn't realise how well-regarded he was there. He was a bit of a legend there. So I'm thinking, I've done the right thing here. Just had to back myself. And, and luckily enough, um, I took over from Lawrence and played. I can't remember how many games I played there. I played, I think, about 16 to 18 months there before um, I signed for, for Southend. Just touching on something you mentioned before, and you touched it a couple of times in regards to size, and it's something that we've got in common. Um, and I had that once or twice as feedback myself. How did you take that news when he said that to you? That Because, again, there's a lot of goalkeepers, goalkeeper coaches, certainly a lot of young goalkeepers that maybe aren't going to be six foot four. They might only be five foot nine, five foot ten, five foot eleven, which in today's game, very few goalkeepers are under six foot, I think it's fair to say. Certainly in the Premier League, very few are under six foot two. How did you Absolutely. take that news? Did it knock you? It annoyed me to an effect that I wanted to prove them wrong. And it... it I used it to drive me on for 20 years. I was, I felt hard done by because I, I felt take away the physicality. Let's look at it as a goalkeeper. And I felt I was as good as the senior goalkeepers at the club at the time. When you look at it, you're a goalkeeper. You're there to keep the ball out the net. You're there to, sorry, in possession, start text, out of possession, defend your goal, that sort of things. And I was doing that. I felt as good as anybody. But to just be cast aside because of my, my size was, was found it quite hard to take and annoying. But instead of going down the route of feeling sad or disappointed, I used it as the other emotion was, I'm going to show you. I'm going to go out and show you. To, to, to a degree that it was probably the best thing that was said about me because I always used it to drive me on and it always used it to have to prove it. And I had it throughout my career. If I, if, if someone put a cross to the far post and someone headed it back over me into the far, hits the, hits the far post by the top corner and bounces in, uh, for the Havens, not tall enough, uh, you know, a bigger goalie. And you're sitting there going, hold on a minute, it'd be six foot six and you wouldn't have saved that. You know, a cross would come, six yard would come in flat with pace. I would just drop off, recover back deep to try and defend my goal from the header. So I'm score a header. Oh, he can't come for crosses. So it was... To a, to a point, I went on, on crosses, ultra-aggressive, where I would always set my stall out in the first game, and I thought, if there was any air on the ball coming in the box, I'm going for it, whether I catch it or I punch it. Yeah, it was, it was disappointing because I felt my ability was as good, but in a way, it was a good thing because I used it to spur me on for, for such a long time. Do you think, and I ask this based on, I suppose, an idea that I've got, that I think that often managers will have a preconceived idea as what they see 
as being a goalkeeper. I actually wrote a piece for the uh, Daily Mail years ago about Peter Schmeichel and how, look, I'm a massive fan of Peter Schmeichel, but mm. most managers, they want this Peter Schmeichel figuring goal. And then, of course, we're not going to fit that mould. So naturally, they'll go for a keeper that maybe looks like that rather than a keeper that is more effective and a better goalkeeper who doesn't maybe have the, the physique of a Peter Schmeichel. So do you think things have been proved on that level? Like, do you think now, the game that we're playing now, the game that we see now, that there is a bit more of an understanding as to what makes a quality goalkeeper, what makes an effective goalkeeper? Absolutely. I think that a lot of time they're looking for style over substance, aren't they? And I think when you talk, uh, I think nowadays the understanding with, with managers and coaches is, is that they understand our position a little bit better than probably what they did 15, 20 years ago, where I believe, you, you look at it this way, if you're sat in a dugout and you've got a corner against and inside that packed six-yard, 18-yard box, you can't see the goalkeeper as a manager, you're going to start, you know, well, where's my goalkeeper? Your goalkeeper's head and shoulders above everyone. You'll be thinking, oh, this is, this is great. Go and put the ball in the box. I'm not worried about dealing with set plays. My goalkeeper's there. Whether he's effective or not at coming for crosses, it just gives them that reassurance, that perception of looking in there thinking, oh, my goalkeeper's big. My goalkeeper then stood in a goal. He's, his head's almost hitting the crossbar. He's filled out. There's not a lot to hit. Okay, yeah, that does, that does help. But like you said there, you've touched on it as, as you're, as goalkeeping has changed now, I think you're looking at, you know, you're certainly your Larices. You know, when you look back at goalkeepers over the years, you know, you're Shea Given, one of the best shot stoppers in the Premier League. You know, you've got Ika Casillas, who, who barely hits six foot. You know, there's been so many good goalkeepers around that size that maybe haven't got that physical attribute of a, of a Schmeichel, but will maybe more dynamic around their goal maybe quicker, maybe able to cover their goal just as much because of their, their speed of movement and speed of thought and technically maybe a little bit better. So it's not just necessarily a size that's going to... That's, that's, the, that's the, you know, the, um, the golden egg we're all looking for is a size but with a smaller goalkeeper's sort of features in a way. And when it's out there, whoever it is will, will be worth £100 million. Mm. So there's different factors in there. Sure, there's, you know, on that side of coaching now, I'm looking, you know, if someone comes in at 5'10", I'm a little bit like, mm, considering I was only around 5'10", I push 5'11". But obviously there's a little bit of uh, the, the physical side that, that you need. Yeah, I, you can see both sides of it. But like I said, it, the bigger doesn't necessarily mean better. Being better for me is, is better. Reminds me a bit of, Paul Rehubka, we had him on the podcast, both with the height thing and when he, I mean, when he was coming through at Manchester United, he said he loved the fact that he was the keeper who would always stay behind if they needed to practice drills, free kicks, if they needed to practice penalties. Mate, can you just go and goal? And he'd be like, yes, Paul goals, David Beckham, Ryan Giggs, Roy King, please take penalties at me, take free kicks at me. I can only learn from this. When you were at Southampton, was that the same with the likes of Matt Letizia? Did you ever have to stay behind after training? Always, uh, always with Tiz. Loved shooting, free kicks. And yeah, it, I did. I used to stay behind quite a lot with him. Um, and I didn't need any encouragement. I, I was quite happy to do that. I would, probably to the detriment of myself, probably as a pro, and I might touch on that a bit later, that I, was, I overtrained. But 
yeah, I would stay behind, do all the donkey work. I never looked at it as donkey work. I quite enjoyed doing it, throwing myself around the goal. That's why I put gloves on in the first place at about eight years old. So I was quite happy to do that. But um, it was tough with Matt. Tiz was an unbelievable finisher and it can sometimes make you look a bit stupid. So, um, but, but great for my development as a, as a 17, 18 year old kid to, to have someone of that ability um, firing shots at me on a, on a daily basis. Did you ever stop a penalty? I can't, was it 47, 48, 49 that he scored or so? Or missed, he missed one, didn't he? Mark Crosley was the one who saved it. Did you save one on the training ground? I did. I did. I saved a penalty against him in a training game. Yeah, to my right, mid-height to my right. I remember it. So we were playing a training game. And whether he remembers it or not, I don't know. But we played a training game and someone went through, Blakely got taken out, penalty. All right, go on and take the penalty. So Tiz stepped up. I went right, pushed right, big, saved it. And he was having none of it. So the ball's then gone out to the right-hand side. He's, no, no, stop. Give me the ball back. Give me the... So he took the ball back again. Angry took it, then scored. So he wasn't, <laughs> he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't happy about it. But yeah, I can always um, yeah, claim a, a penalty from his, yeah. That is a claim to fame. Absolutely, that's a claim yeah. to fame. Well, you mentioned Southend. That's where you made it into the EFL. Now, as a man who never got to play professional football, you always look from afar as a fan, as a journo, and see it as making the big time earning the big bucks, bagging the fast car. But you actually took a pay cut to go from non-league Woking to Football League South End. Yeah. Um, again, the, the money wasn't uh, an issue to me then. Um, it certainly wasn't a motivation to me at all. So uh, when the opportunity to go to South End came, it was less. But I didn't really care for me it was my pathway into the football league where I wanted to be like I said it wasn't ever to do with an extra few hundred pound like it was then a few hundred pound I didn't really care uh, you know I would have even if it was half of it I would have left and signed so um yeah that was a case it was uh, it was less money but it was an opportunity for me to to start my career and, and get me on the, the pathway that I wanted to be on just to go back again I guess this kind of falls into to the height and having players in front of you, I suppose, that you know are going to help command your area. Rich, I know you've spoken about this at Brentford. I can think of John Ruddy from his time at Wolves. James Shea, I think, spoke about it at Luton as well. I think I've got this right, that for for one season or a couple of seasons when I was looking at the stats, you had Spencer Pryor and Effie Soji as your centre-back pairing. That is quite the double act. As a goalkeeper, is that reassuring to know that you've got centre-backs there who are more than likely going to clean up everything that comes their way. Yeah, they, um, with uh, Spencer, who you know, had a fantastic career at Man City, Norwich, will agree with me, his legs had gone slightly, but he was very intelligent, um, very dominant in the air. Again, defending you know, a lot of direct balls, he was very um, dominant in that. And positional-wise, he was good. Effie was a tough player. He would leave a bit on... And I would always think the strikers must have oh, an eight playing against him because he was he was like a rash. He was always digging people in the back, always up against them, down the back of the calves and that. But lovely, lovely guy, lovely guy. But when he got on the pitch, he was very, he was very tough. Not technically pretty on the ball, but if you needed him to head it, to block shots, to tackle, he he was he was fantastic at it. And um we had another, had another one come in, Adam Barrett, and Adam Barrett was, was brilliant as well. 
so yeah, I was lucky to play with some good centre halves at Southend. Yeah. How important was that to you? I guess this is more of a general goalkeeping question, really. But your relationship with your centre halves, you know, a lot's made of it uh, in terms of how it's important for the goalkeeper to have that kind of communication. Did you spend any extra time with that, with those people in particular, to make sure that it was a strong relationship? Probably with, I, I, I still to this day, I'm, I'm still good friends with Adam Barrett, Adam who's at Millwall now, uh, coaching at Millwall. Um, Spencer and Effie, again, um, I wouldn't say I spend that much time with them. I think I just got to know their game and they got to know mine. It was a case of, you know, I, I remember speaking to them, both of them, about trying to keep as a higher line as possible. And I said, look, anything over, I'm quite happy defending that space and, and coming out and mopping things up, you know. So don't feel too exposed in behind you because I, was, I used to play quite high. So it was just a case of communication and these guys were experienced anyway. So it was just a case of when we were on the pitch, we acted to things again, just trying to organise us at the back there. We, we, we forged you know, a good partnership and there was a lot of trust between um, the, the four of us. And, um, and I think that's why we were, we were so successful. The only issue I used to have was with, um, was with Spence because he was brilliant at this one. There would be, if we were defending um, in a low block and we were deep and the bodies were on the edge of the box and they may drop in, shots would come through. Spence would have this habit as if he, it would travel and he's in, on my line of the ball, would, instead of blocking it, just lift his foot up and point behind at me. So I'm literally, <laughs> whoa, all of a sudden, reactions take down low to my right. I would get up and, you know, I'd be effing and blinding at him, you know, and it'd go, I knew you could deal with it. And then you're like, okay, all right. But the amount of times the arguments me and him had about strikes would come through and he would, like you say, we, 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 we sort of move into line with, with the boys' goalkeepers and get into that position that we want to be in. He'd always be, on, you know, blocking my view a lot of the time. So I was one of these that didn't really like leaning and gambling to look around the body because if it caught me off balance and it went in the other direction, I have no hope. So I would always used to stand um, set and balanced behind him and the strike would come. I could see it as coming at him. And he used to lift his foot up and just point backwards, not even look. And then all of a sudden, I'm picking the travelling ball up from 12 yards and, and trying to get down to my left or to my right or turning it into a scoop. And I'm like, just put your foot there and block it. <laughs> it was um, frustrating, but looking back, it, it, it was quite funny. Ronaldo, great effort and a very good save. Well, that's one of his best Ronaldos, but the keeper is equal to it. And how he is, look how that ball moves. And a terrific pace as well, that's a fantastic save. Well, his fellow pros voted Daryl Flaharman the best goalkeeper in League One last season. We've just seen why. Let's get on to it. You versus Cristiano Ronaldo. We've got to visit this particular story, this particular head-to-head -head as well. You came up against him twice. Now, we're going to focus on the first time and then get on to the other meeting. The first one, November 2006. I'm just going to go through what the state of play was before you guys actually met 
in the fourth round of the League Cup. It was the first time in history that Southend had got that far in the competition. United were the holders from the previous season. Southend were bottom of the championship at the time. Four league defeats yeah. on the bounce. Worst run of results in 20 years. Without a win in 12, United had lost just one in 12 in domestic competition. It was the day after Sir Alex had celebrated 20 years in charge of the club and you won 1-0. Yeah, you couldn't write it, could you? We, um, I remember, we, I think they just played crew, and they put the kids out, and they, they, I think they got through the game two one. So they, they came to us. We were bottom of the championship at the time, struggling as well. We didn't know what sort of team they would put out. I thought because obviously we were in the championship, crew, I think we're in the league two at the time. I thought they would put out a few more seniors against us, but didn't realise they would put you know some of the big guns out that they did. We got got to the ground. I went out and warmed up, and I used to go out with my goalkeeping coach Lee Turner quite early. I was always one of those who would get out an hour or so before kickoff. Going out before the game, I didn't know the team. The team's going at quarter two. Um, I went out, started stretching, doing started doing my warm up, my, my passing drills, my handling drills. I obviously read our team out on the on the loudspeaker. And then their team, so I'm sitting there thinking, I don't actually know their team yet. So they read the team out over the, over the, um, the tannoy and then I'm starting to go, I'm catching a ball and then I'm diving, I'm getting up, I'm like, whoa. And then we stopped the <laughs> drill and then, and then my goalkeeping coach come at me and went, Flabs, I think you might be busy tonight, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but it was, it was, it was one of those, I really, I was, it actually spurred me on even more. I, I felt quite relaxed in the game. I, as a as a keeper, felt quite free, uh, if that makes sense. I sort of thought even if we'd have got beat six nil, they wouldn't. No one would would batter an eyelid. So um, I went out there and played with with, with a freedom, and, and fortunate enough, you know, made a few saves, and and we won the game. Uh, it was uh, Freddie Eastwood with a with a with a free kick. It was an unbelievable um, result for the club. And um, for us as players, and and, and from the, for me to be honest, because it, it it sort of transformed people, sort of knew who I was and more about me after that game. So it was um, it sort of catapulted you on to a, to to a next level of, of, of people sort of knowing you, if that makes sense, or your reputation, or you you know recognizing. Hold on a minute, he always, he's all right, he's okay. So yeah, it was an amazing night. If you want to hear more from Daryl Flahaven, head on over to patreon.com forward slash goalkeepersunion. There you can also find the extended interviews with Rob Elliott and Matt Murray and a trilogy of chats with former West Ham United and England goalkeeper Robert Green. For as little as £3 per month, you can get all that and plenty more. Or if you simply want to help support the Goalkeepers Union podcast, it is patreon.com forward slash goalkeepersunion. We'll see you next time.